Well, good morning. We're happy to see you guys all here this morning. Um, we're just going to keep going, but I want to just pray over the rest of worship today before we get started. So let's pray. God, we just come to you today and we thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to be here as a congregation and to worship you, Lord. I just pray that the rest of this worship service is pleasing to you, God, that our hearts are open for you, and God, that we just sing these songs for you, Lord, and I just pray that you'll prepare our hearts also for the message that we're going to receive today, Lord, in your name, amen. with us our God 
God is with us. Our God is with us. Emmanuel, forever for us. Forever for us. Forever for us. Emmanuel, our God is with us. Our God is with us. Our God is with us.
the darkness. For months, I sang that line as light in my darkness. Think about that pronoun and about that object. Is that what I want? Do I want that as mine? No, I don't want the darkness as mine. My God, that's the pronoun that I want to hold on to. Because that pronoun reminds me of who that is that's mine. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of our circumstances and our troubles and our tribulations, our God is who we hold on to. We don't hold on to the darkness. We don't hold on to the struggles. We're gonna move through the struggles, folks. He doesn't say this is a bed of roses. He says, in this life, you will have what? Troubles, tribulation. Insert your, your version right there. But we need to understand that in the midst of those, we hold on to our God. So I'm just confessing that I put the wrong pronoun in the wrong place. I don't know if any of you ever do that. I don't know if any of you ever hold on to the wrong object or the wrong person. But this morning, I want to remind us that it's our God that we hold on to in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the tribulations. It's our God. It's our God that is the way maker. He's the one who shows us the way through the tribulation and the trial and the hard times. He's that one. He's that one. So thank you for allowing me to make my confession. But if somebody else has had that same issue, I just want you to understand we will we will pray with you this morning that you'll stop holding on to the darkness and that you'll hold on to the light and that way maker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working.
Hallelujah. Praise God. I think um, whether we realize it or not, we all need a way maker uh, to show up in our lives. Praise God. Uh, thank you, worship team. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. Praise God. Um, as I was uh, preparing this week and uh, thinking, okay, um, trying to figure out how to land a plane. Have any of you ever um, flown a drone before? Okay. Um, you know, it's one thing to get a drone up in the air. Really, it's just increasing the power um, and the right proportions. But the, it's more challenging to land it um, if you want to actually fly it again. Um, <laughs> I remember the first, um, back years ago when some of the first, you know, radio controlled ones come out, um, my son and I had um, helicopters that you could fly. We'd fly them in our living room. 90% of the time they were safe. Um, and I remember the first one that we were landing and I broke, um, I broke one of the legs on it. It just snapped that thing because um, I came down too hard and uh, it, was, it was meant for a gentler landing. And uh, have you, how many of you have flown on a plane that you thought when they landed you weren't going to make it? Okay, uh, I've been on a few of those and they're scary. Um, I've been on some takeoffs um, that are a little scary, but really when they're coming down and you, you feel that a few different bounces and you're thinking, Lord, just let something grab hold of and hold me down because I don't want to go back up in the air again. Um, sometimes when, you, when I'm preaching a series, I need to figure out, Lord, how can I land this and get it to stick? Because um, we've been dealing with the Beatitudes, and I think this is number 10, um, on dealing with the Beatitudes, our 10th message. And uh, Lord willing, um, we're going to land this today. Um, you know, is that okay? I don't know about you, but the Beatitudes have beat me up this time. Um, it has been a challenging series for me to walk through. And one thing that I, I continue to realize every day is that God is in the business of transformation. You know, uh, we all come to God in, in a beautiful state. Um, last week we acknowledged Brennan, you know, in service with us, and um, uh, my little grandson Isaiah, and Amalia's here, and Hudson, and you know, we have lots of babies in the church, which is beautiful, right? Um, Wednesday nights, my wife and I many times are up in the nursery uh, during uh, our, our sessions here, and we watch uh, a lot of the toddlers, uh, the babies. And I, and I love it. You know, it is fantastic. And they're all so unique um, in how they approach life. Uh, and uh, they're beautiful at that stage. But I am so thankful babies don't stay there. You know, now I love holding them, but I love seeing them develop and grow. You know, uh, I, I love my children are at the stage, you know, um, you know, Tabitha is our, our baby in the house and she's 20, you know, that's a couple years ago, you know, um, that she was a baby, but I, I'm glad that she's grown up, <laughs> you know. 
and she's weathered storms. You know, I remember one time at, when we were living out in South Dakota, you know, she was in one of those little scooter-long things, you know, you put them in there, and it's got wheels on it, and they could roam through the house, and we had hardwood floors in the area. And you can, you know, little kids can get moving on those things. And we had a basement. And Tabitha decided to take a trip down the basement steps in that. Now, I don't know if she went head over heels. There's lots of theories on it. But she was, she was you know, head up at the bottom, still in the little thing when she was done. And she's no worse for wear on it. Um, but I'm glad I don't, I don't worry about those kind of events anymore in my life. That, you know, she's grown up. You know, I, Tabby can go out and I don't, I'm not concerned. I know God's going to bring her home safe. But she's grown up and she's matured. That's what God wants for all of us. When we come to God in a relationship with him, we come at a level of understanding that puts us at an infant state. Whether, whether we like to be called infants or not, Scripture calls us babes in Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians talks about, you know, that we are wanting the milk of the word. You know, a baby cannot eat the same foods that you do. They, they survive in those, those beginning stages off the milk. There comes a point when that is not enough. And, and normally it's, it's when, you know, grandpa or, you know, dad or somebody starts feeding them ice cream or something like that. Um, they slide a few other things into the diet. Um, but they start hungering for more things. And see, and I, I believe when we started this journey down the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, it was really this, this introduction that we all come to a place of relationship with Jesus Christ at a level, but God expects us to grow in our relationship with Him. Praise God, He doesn't expect it all at once, but He does expect us to grow in maturity towards Him. He does expect us to, uh, to cover a few different things in our faith. So I don't know where each one of you are at individually. Now, most of you in here I, I've known for a few years, and I know you have a, a deep faith. But just because I know you have a deep faith doesn't mean that I know where you're at in your level of maturity. Because age has no bearing on maturity. It is what have you allowed God to introduce into your life? What have you allowed God to confront in your life? What have you allowed God to transition you through so that you come to a place of, of deeper understanding, a deeper awareness of the things of God? And see, and that's where I believe the Beatitudes, as I shared from the very beginning, the Beatitudes are not about picking and choosing where we want to go. It is about us coming to a place of, of fully accepting, fully endorsing the things of God. Now, if you open in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to, just an introduction, read through the first 12 verses that we've covered so far. And so, it picks up at verse number 1. And it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. 
And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Now, first off, who is teaching? Jesus. Do you think that these things might be important for us to pay attention to? Okay, we've covered that. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says, listen to me. He said, these are important sayings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Open our eyes to continue to see, our ears to continue to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, and we ask for this in your name. Amen. Now, we are not going to go into these because we've spent literally um, the last nine weeks covering uh, these 12 verses. And uh, you can go back on YouTube or Facebook and capture those messages if you missed any of those. But, but I, I really believe that the Beatitudes are literally at the heart of, of the very things that Jesus wants each one of us to pay attention to. They, they depict the very countenance of Jesus. They characterize what an authentic Christian life is like. Let me relate it this way. How many of you are married here? Okay, how many of you, now you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you had an expectation of what marriage life was going to be like going in? How many of you, was you were you spot on with your expectation? <laughs> well, a few of you, all right, good. <laughs> now, I came into marriage after being many years a bachelor, and, and I had developed a lot of habits because prior to that point, I really didn't have to answer to anybody about anything I was doing. I come and go when I wanted to, I ate what I wanted to, um, I, um, I really didn't have, you know, other than work. I didn't really have anything that I had to give account for. I didn't have a bunch of people calling me up wondering if I was going to come home overnight. You know, it just... And then I get married. And then things change. Now, granted, I wanted to come home. I wanted to be with my wife. Those were all good things. But um, I had to learn to make decisions not just based on me anymore, it was based on us. And then I had kids. And I had to start making decisions based on, on kids. Now, growing up, I learned a lot of lessons from my, my family that were valuable lessons. You know, my mom fixed a certain meal. It, there was a lot of food. There were, you know, five of us kids. Um, 
you know, and what my mom fixed is what you ate. You know, how many of you were that way? There were no alternatives. <laughs> there wasn't picking and choosing. The meal was served at a time. It normally was when my dad got home from work <laughs> and we ate. There was no snacking. There were no snacks in the home to even be snacking about. You know, it was, and so I learned that you eat what's put in front of you. And we really taught our children throughout life to do that, you know. Now, we even, we're nowhere near as hardcore. I remember many a days my dad or my mom fixing liver and onions. I hated that meal. Even now, it brings a bad taste in my mouth. The only one in my whole household that liked liver and onions was my dad. And my mom fixed it because, you know, my dad liked it. And literally, I'd get off the school bus and I could smell it. And I knew dinner was not going to be a good meal. Um, because there were no options. Um, but you learn along the way to not be... You sat down at the table and you just... <laughs> You just sat there, and, and at the end of the meal, you could get up and be done, and you didn't have to. Now, here, that was the key thing. You had to sit there, be quiet. How many of you were good, quiet people when you needed to be? See, if I, if I mouthed off about how much I hated this meal during the meal, I actually had to eat it until it was gone. <laughs> and, and it didn't matter how cold it got. Now, liver and onions probably are bad when they, they're warm. They're even worse when they're cold. Um, for those of you who like liver and onions, I'm sorry. I, I can't really um, bear witness with you on anything else other than they're bad. Um, but, I, but I learned some lessons along the way in life about maturity even. Maturity isn't always getting my way. It is about what is the best thing for my family. Now, I didn't grow up eating vegetables, and, and Tabby may still say I still don't eat vegetables, but I eat probably more than I used to. But we served our children vegetables growing up, you know, because we knew that they needed them, even though we didn't grow up in, my wife grew up in a habit of eating vegetables. I did not. I grew up in a habit of eating meat and potatoes. Um, that was our lifestyle. But I learned, I matured, and I don't eat the way I did, even as a bachelor. I don't live the way I did as a bachelor. I have grown and I've matured. I eat healthier today than I probably have ever eaten. I don't eat as much, this is going to be hard, I don't eat as much ice cream as I used to eat. I was one of those people, and some of you may still be there, and don't talk to me about it because you'll make me feel bad. But I used to eat ice cream every night. We always had ice cream in our freezer. It was not beneficial for me to do that every night. So now I intentionally don't buy it because you know what? If you don't buy it, you don't eat it every night. Now there may come a day in my life that I don't care and I'm going to go back to eating ice cream every night. Um, but today I care. You know, I don't eat potato chips every day because I don't have them in the house. I don't buy them. I try to eat healthier. Maturity makes you do that, right? When you become aware. The doctor says, hey, your blood pressure is a little bit high. You need to avoid these things. Okay. So I try to work on some of those different aspects because 
That's what maturity is about. When someone points out something going on in your life, you want to address it. And that's what Jesus was dealing with here with the disciples. He was dealing with... The only time you bring about a teaching like this is if you're witnessing things not actually happening. Because see, there really there was a driving home of these points, I believe, in the lives of the disciples as he was going over them. You know, from a level of humility to mourning to meekness to actually being hungry, hungry for the things of God, to being merciful to being pure, to being a peacemaker, to endure persecution. He was establishing in them an understanding, a mentality that says, listen, these are things that you are going to need to be successful as a believer in the life ahead of you. And you need to start working on these today. And I I believe truly that that's what Jesus was working on through these things. He wanted them to understand what the foundational elements of a Christian life were all about. He also understand, understood this, and this I think is, is really getting into the heart of this, that Jesus understood that the disciples were called to be a catalytic agent in the world that they were going to live. So I began to look up, up this word catalytic. And, and a catalyst is a substance that initiates a response in something else that it has been introduced to without changing the substance of the catalyst itself. See, when, when, you, when I introduce, if I were to introduce, a, you know, like ice cream to a hot bowl of soup, what would happen to the ice cream? It melts, it loses its substance, and it becomes one with the soup. It may not be pretty, but it's merged. That's not a catalyst. That See, that merges. A catalyst will maintain, it will cause a reaction and maintain its quality. And God is calling us to be a catalyst in this world. He says, I want you to be in the world, not of it. So he's saying, listen, you have the ability to be introduced into a situation and to bring about a change. That's what the Beatitudes are all about, is helping you to live in such a way that you can be introduced into a situation and bring about a change of life in those around you without you personally being affected, being changed. That's why it is so important that we begin to take these these principles that Jesus felt an urgency to teach his disciples and we begin to apply them to our own lives and we begin to live them out. Because God wants us to be a catalytic element and an agent of change in this world that we live in. And that brings us to the conclusion piece of our message today and it's Matthew 13 and or chapter 5 verses 13 and 14. Or excuse me, 13 through 16. It says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? 
It is then good for nothing but to be thrown and out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. At his funeral service, Dean Smith, the legendary basketball coach for the University of North Carolina, for 36 years was eulogized as more than a coach by the players, including greats like Michael Jordan. The coach's influence as a second father, a mentor, and a Christian role model was spoken by more than a few athletes who had played on his teams. In his book, A Coach's Life, Smith devoted an entire chapter to, take, to his take on how his Christian faith had guided his life and all of his endeavors and relationships, both on and off the basketball court. And, and I believe that this perfectly exemplifies what we are to be in the world that we are called to live in, to work in, is to be an example, a witness, an influence. And as a believer, God is calling you to be an influence. How many of you have ever been a bad influence? Okay, I've been a bad influence at a number of different times. Now, I love playing basketball. I haven't played for a long time. But God and I had come to an arrangement. Actually, it really wasn't that God had come, and I come to this arrangement. God said, this is the arrangement. If you want to play, this is the, the guidelines. How many of you have ever been there? So God said, one of the requirements for me to play basketball was I had to learn to keep my mouth shut. Now, I have a few opinions when I play. I like it to be fair. I, li I don't like whining and complaining. If you foul somebody, you call it. If you didn't get fouled, don't whine and complain that you did. You know, it's pretty, I'm a pretty, you know, level-headed person. But if someone pushes the envelope in some of those things, I had been known to make a few statements. They were always appropriate. Never swore. I didn't start a fight. Well, I can't say I didn't start a fight. My words sometimes maybe initiated something. And so... As long as I was honoring God in these things, God said, you can play. And there have been seasons in my life where um, I was playing and someone had pushed the envelope a little bit and I decided to say something. And I knew right when I did it. And, and I could see literally the environment change that I was playing in because everyone was a little bit more on edge. I've seen it at home life when I've come home and, and I've had a situation and I, maybe I bark at someone just wrong or raise my voice. I already have a loud voice. It doesn't take much for my voice to go up and people feel like I'm yelling at them. Is there anybody else out there like that? <laughs> I don't intend to be yelling. Sometimes I'm passionate. And, uh, but I've had many times where God has said, you need to take a break. And I'm thinking, God, it was just that one time. And, and God says, I understand. Just take a break. <laughs> I remember playing one time, and I, 
I had a situation and I had said something and God said, now's the time. And I had to say, listen, guys, I, I, I have to be done. And they were saying, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's just a game. Everybody does it. It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I have to be done because I'm not answering to you. <laughs> I have to answer to God. And I, bro I violated the covenant that God and I had set. And sometimes we forget that God has a covenant that is established for us. So because we are called to influence our society, our environment, wherever it is, God wants us to be an influence. And if we bring a negative influence, he's talking about salt being a seasoning. And if, we, if salt loses its seasoning, if salt loses its flavor, how can it be salty again. It can't. It's, scripture says that it's thrown out. It's trampled underfoot. It's, it becomes part of the walkway. But salt, when it is permitted to do what it was intended, has great value. Now, I, I was just doing a little bit of reading on salt to understand it. Salt is a very valuable commodity. Do you realize that 40 million tons of salt are required each year just to fill our needs? I've seen some of you put that much on your food. I'm just kidding. Maybe you're down to just a ton. Homer called it divine. Plato called it a substance dear to the gods. <laughs> Shakespeare mentioned salt 17 times in his play. In ancient Greece, Greece, a far-flung trading involving the exchange of salt for slaves. Special salt rations were given to the Roman soldiers as a salary. <laughs> Thousands of Napoleon's troops died during his retreat from Moscow because their wounds would not heal. Their bodies lacked salt. Do you realize that you need salt? I know my wife likes salt. The human body contains about four ounces of salt. That's it. And yet, if you don't have enough salt in your body, your muscles won't contract, your blood won't circulate, food won't digest, and your heart won't beat a beat. You need salt. Salt is essential. And I think... I think God knew that already. Well, I know God knew it because he created it. And when Jesus was using it as an illustration, speaking to us as the salt of the earth, he knew that you were essential. Do you know that you are an essential element where God has placed you right now? That the environment, the specific job, the place you live, the, the place that you go to work out, the things that you are doing on the soccer field, whatever it is, you are an essential element. God has placed you there because His presence will not flow freely without you there fulfilling your God-ordained purpose. You are necessary. 
And when Jesus was telling the disciples that all of these beatitudes were necessary elements to add to their lives, because he was saying this because the disciples were necessary to bring transformation in the world that they were called to live in. Now we can talk about the value of salt as a preserving agent. They would rub salt on the meat to help it last longer. It delayed the decomposition or the decay or the spoiling. We could talk about salt as a, a enhancing the flavor of food. But one of the, the often misunderstood or, lack, or, or little emphasized areas of salt is salt actually increased your thirst. Salt increases your thirst. And when you begin to have a little salt, you have an immediate need to drink something. When we begin to introduce ourselves into the world that God's called us to live in, we create a thirst in the lives of those around us for the things of God. Or at least we should. Have any of you ever had food ruined because you had so much salt on it? I have. I'm, I, don't, I don't salt food. I, I use what's in the food, and that's enough for me. But I've had people over-salt something, and I'm, <laughs> I was giving my... I have an a internal issue with salt. It actually creates kidney stones in me. So I can eat what's in the food, but I can't put more on. <laughs> and there was one day I, I was visiting my daughter, and she had made some Rice Krispie treats. She said, oh, Dad, here, try one of these. And I'm, I'm eating this Rice Krispie treat, and this, this increasing flavor of salt is coming in my mouth. I'm thinking, Something, something's wrong with your Rice Krispie treat. And she said, I said, so what's in it? She said, um, more Rice Krispies and stuff and, and salt. And it's like, and she looks at me, and, she's, and she, her face is like, I am so sorry, because <laughs> she knows that I can't have the salt. But I'm, I'm, it's like, it was so, it's like, I can't taste, the only thing I can taste is salt right now. <laughs> now, for some of you who think it's Rice Krispie treats and salt, I don't know if it's good or not. You're going you're gonna to have to talk to Tia. But I'll tell you this, for me, it wasn't a good thing. And yet, I also understand that I need salt. I, I have to go through a test every once in a while that monitors my, my salt level because my body can't get down below a certain level or it won't function. So I have to go in for these tests. So it's a delicate balance. You know, if you've ever had kidney stones, you also know you don't want those. So I, I regulate this, this salt intake on a normal basis so that I, I don't introduce something that's going to be a problem. The right amount of salt is beautiful and it enhances the flavor. You need to know what balance you're bringing to the environment that you're called to live in. Now, I look at times of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a heavy seasoner. Now, John the Baptist came and he knew he had one purpose to prepare the way of the Lord. Do you realize that not all of us in this room are called to be John the Baptist? Now, some of us are. 
There are individuals that God will send to prepare the way for, the, for a specific thing <coughs> to happen. But all of us are not going to do that. We have to be willing to allow who God called us to be to be introduced at the right time. So John the Baptist has an essential element for what he's providing. You do too. Tristan, what you bring on the worship stage with your playing and your singing is such a beautiful mix, and the church needs it. <laughs> I, I, I so love watching Miss Linda worship. I, I, got, I found myself just giggling a little bit today because, you know, during Waymaker, you know, she's talking about, her, you, know, you're, you know, seeing and, you know, and she's got all the hand gestures, you know, if she, if she could create a, a, a hand, the song, the hand motions for it, she's got that down. But we need Linda's in our worship. We, we need each individual who is here. Do you realize that each one of you have a purpose in the body of Christ? <laughs> Scripture says that God has given, has divided the gifts among all the believers as the Holy Spirit sees fit. And that there's no one person that has all of them. But you have a gift that you can bring value to the body of Christ if you'll use it. But it's up to you. Will you use your gifts and talents for the Lord? See, God is wanting you to be the proper measure of salt in your world to influence, to bring about a, a, tra a transformation, a change. You are that catalytic agent to create a reaction, to creating a, a thirst so that people will hunger and thirst for the things of God. And then he says that you are also a, a light set up on a hill. You, you are, my, my wife so uh, well shared this whole thing that sometimes we embrace the darkness, but God's called us to embrace the light. We're called to be a light. I remember the first time, I grew up in Ohio. The first time I went out in Oregon, I was, I lived out there for seven years and and some friends had taken me out in the, the middle of the mountains areas. No cities within, you know, several hours. And um, <laughs> we had our flashlights. We're walking through the area. And he shut off uh, his flashlight. And you literally could not see a foot in front of you. It was so dark. Now there's... There were still some stars in the sky, but it was so dark. I had never seen that level of darkness. But with even just one flashlight, he flipped it on, and the dark, it's like the darkness flees. It's so powerful. Darkness can have an oppressive state to it until you turn the light on. And you are called to be the light. And see, darkness will always overwhelm as long as the light chooses to be off. And so you have to choose to let your light so shine before man. You have to choose to allow the things that God is doing in you to impact 
the society or the place that God's called you to be. Now let's bring it home first. At home, <coughs> you are called to be a light too. It, it's not just about you living your faith at work. Scripture is very clear that we have a responsibility to live before God in a level that honors Him at home first. It starts there. And then we take what God is doing there and branch out into the places we work and in the places we play. But we're to allow the light to shine in the darkness that is all around us and where we go, there should not be the same measure of darkness present. George Barna was talking about one of the unfortunate statistics of the church today is that in the world, very few people in the world can tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. That is a, that is a current statistic that people who are not currently attending church don't see a lot of difference between those who say they do and those who say they don't care if they attend church or not. There, there has not been this separation, there has not been this choice to live differently that allows an individual to be seen as different. See, God should look at you and say, you're different. Now, some of us say that, and, and it's not saying in the same way. But God's wanting you to be different for the things of God. He wants you to be different because you know what? You don't fit in. You don't speak the same way we do. You don't, you don't make fun of people. You're, you're not mean. You're not cruel. You're loving. There's all these things that should identify us to the world that we live in as being different. You should be different. We, this, we had a group of guys that played over here at the basketball courts. They've played for, I don't know, a couple of months now. So they always park on their church parking lot. They, um, they are always, you know, done before church starts. They recognize our service starts 1030. They, they made sure they were done by then. I'm sure it was too cold for him this morning. But one of the basketball players came in this morning, brought a couple do dozen donuts and said, hey, we just wanted to thank you guys for letting us park in your lot for basketball. Now, I know during one of the uh, mornings just before service, Seth, uh, when he was out here greeting, walked down there and just said, hey, we just want you guys to know you're welcome to come visit us anytime when you're done playing basketball. So, I mean, he, he was different. He didn't say, listen, you guys shouldn't park here. We need you to move these cars. Um, sometimes the church comes off of, man, you shouldn't, you shouldn't bring that stuff around here. We need our space. We want to protect the space. And we make church about something that is unreachable, untouchable. When we went through the transformation of the sanctuary, I wanted the, I wanted the church to be touchable. You know, I wanted people to feel comfortable to be able to worship God with not feeling like they're going to break something. I don't want there to be a fear of people coming. Now, there should be a respect for God's house, but there shouldn't be a fear. We should have a freedom to worship God. And so, as we prepare to close today, as we land this thing, 
my, my question to you is how can you apply the things that we have talked about over this last 10 weeks to your life to live differently from this day forward? Because if God is about transformation, then our lives have to be about application. We actually have to apply the things that God has shared with us through the Word and live differently. Now, I don't know how many of you have been more merciful, more humble. How many of you have, have sat with someone mourning? I don't know how many of you have been peacemakers in the midst of a difficult situation. But all I know is these are the things that Jesus made sure that he emphasized to the disciples as he was preparing to conclude his time of ministry with them. He wanted to equip them with these necessary skills so that they would be able to go out in their world and live in such a way that they would bring honor to God the Father. And when, he, when Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they acknowledge that they honor your Father who is in heaven. Not that it would draw a lot of extra attention on us because of what we have done for someone else, but it's because... That is to direct the attention to God because of how we live our life. So how are you going to apply the things you've heard? Now listen, even if you haven't been here for the whole 10 weeks, if you've read your word any time in the last week, God actually expects you to apply the things you've read. Actually, God expects you to take all that he has written and work on applying it to your life on a daily basis. It's your responsibility. I love Miss Elaine. She is an amazing woman of God. But I am so thankful that God has not called me to apply the scripture to her life. <laughs> I am so thankful that I don't have to be at her house, you know, with my Bible open. Miss Elaine, you know that that is wrong. Let me point it out to you, Elaine. This is supposed to how you live. You know, I'm glad God doesn't do that. But you know what? God, does, God has left us someone to remind us of those things. Who is that? Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit when you did something you knew you shouldn't have? And whose responsibility is it to change? Yeah. So when you read God's Word and you begin to apply it to our life, there should be a change where how you started this year. Now listen, 2020 has been a weird, funky year. That shouldn't stop us from changing. If we ever regress in our faith, it is not because of God and His Word. It's because we have chosen to go away from the things that He has instructed us to do. It doesn't matter how funky the year may be, God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday as today as he will be tomorrow. He never changes. His word is consistent. Scripture says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. There is an eternal nature to the word of God that has the ability to impart true change in our lives if we will read it, if we will apply it to our lives. So church, today I leave you with this landing spot. How are you going to begin to apply the things that God has instructed us through His Word, through these Beatitudes, through being salt and light? How will you affect change in your world? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are always working. You're always bringing about a, a place of change in our lives. You're always working on transformation. And today I pray that you would help us to apply the things of your word to our lives, that we would be transformed into the image of your Son, that we may begin to resemble that which Jesus came to illustrate for us, so that we may begin to live and influence our world in the way that Jesus did. That we may enhance the flavor, that we may preserve the things that you are doing, that we may bring about a thirst for the things of you of God. God, help us to be a light dispelling the darkness, shining your light on all those things that need to be illuminated. Help us to be different, intentionally different, transformationally different, and we thank you. We ask for this in your name. Amen. Praise God. So, um, this time we're going to wait upon you for our morning tithes and offering. We have uh, several people that are traveling right now. Uh, JP and Sherry are down in uh, South Carolina, I think it is, with Shelby. She is getting ready to disembark for her next tour of duty, I believe it is Saudi Arabia. So it's going to be overseas. So it's going to be a little bit of a travel there for her now, and that I think will be in next year. So they're going down there to see her. Uh, Pastor Willie is, is working on stuff for his, uh, this uh, fundraising event they have coming up this Saturday. Just be praying for him. It's been a, it's been a tough week for him, tough, tough year with all the different fundraisers that they've had canceled um, for their... Uh, uh, ministry or for their nonprofit there, and so uh, just need prayer on those things, different ones that are traveling and uh, some that are dealing with some sickness still, but uh, we want to we pray God's influence in their lives, and so let us pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give. We pray your blessing on this offering that it would be multiplied to meet the needs of your church. We thank you for your faithful provision, and we pray today um, we lift up the needs of those that are uh, in, our, in our church. We lift up Shelby as she prepares to go overseas for uh, the Air Force. Father, be with her. May it be a, a, just a, a powerful time. Uh, or Navy, is it Navy? Um, as she's in the service, Lord, just help her to experience your hand of protection there on her as she travels. Um, we pray for Pastor Willie in the midst of all the things that he's going on with his work and this fundraiser, giving grace and peace. And Father, for each one of our people, as they, as they work at being salt and light in the place that you've planted them, help them to bring about that transformational change in the lives of those they touch, uh, being a catalytic agent for them. And uh, we just thank you. We ask your presence uh, to go with us in all that we do in your name. Amen. Want to remind you, we have Wednesday nights uh, here, 6:30. Uh, all are welcome to come out and be part of that. Next Sunday, uh, uh, I think I'm going to be doing a series on worship, uh, on measures of worship, and so uh, I'm excited about it. I am. Uh, I don't consider myself to be a vocalist. 
Um, but that doesn't mean I can't sing and worship. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the different elements of worship that I think are, I think, important pieces for us as we go into this next season. Um, worship is such a valuable element in the church. Scripture uh, talks about the worshipers being the first line of defense that they, God would send them out ahead of the, uh, the battle. And many times the battle was done before uh, the, the men, the soldiers even had to lift a hand. And so uh, I just want us to understand, have a greater awareness of worship, praise and worship, and it's, it's an importance in our lives. So come next week, we're going to do several weeks on worship and I'm um, looking forward to. God bless you. Love on one another and uh, have a great week.